Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. With the third pick in the 2019 NBA Draft, the New York Knicks select R.J. Barrett. What's up, everybody? It's your boy, Prez, a.k.a. Presidente, a.k.a. underscore Presidente on Twitter, a.k.a. in demand like John Moran's lawyer. And I'm here with Jam Hines, who you may know on Twitter, at Jam on the Boards. Um, He's a scout for BPA Hoops. He's a contributor for Draft Digest. He's somebody who I've uh, followed his tweets for a minute now, so I've been been ready to, to get him on the pod, get him on Josh Strickland for, for a bit, and uh, finally was able to do that to connect with my guy. Jam, how you doing? I'm doing great, Prez. I appreciate you having me on. I love what you and everybody is doing um, at the Strickland, so I'm very excited and honored to be on. But before we get started, I do have to make a few announcements. The first being that the Strickland has... And Instagram, check it out. That is at thestrick.land on Instagram. Give us a follow on there. We're posting all kinds of new content. The Strickland also has a YouTube channel where you may or may not be watching this podcast. If you are watching it on there, please hit like. And then subscribe to the channel. If you haven't already subscribed, that would be a huge help to us. The Strickland also has new merchandise, which I'm rocking right here. A piece of which I'm rocking right here. Sweatshirts, fleeces, fleece pants, sorry, fleece shorts. T-shirts, you name it, we got it. Hats, uh, it's all there. Check it out. Uh, you can find it on our website. And then finally, the Strickland has a Patreon, which you can subscribe to. There are a number of different tiers. There is a six dollar tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland, this podcast that I host every Friday with Prez. You also get access to the Strickland Mailbag that comes out every week, hosted by Andrew Steele, aka Doug, aka the Doug Bag, alongside Dallas Amico. You also get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation never stops. There are further tiers. There is a $9 tier that gets you access to Strickland Roll, my solo pod, where I rant and rave about things even more. You also get access to wonderful premium articles by Matthew Miranda, one of the best in the business. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier. Those come with a variety of additional benefits, like listening on pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. Um, so without further ado, let's get started. Yeah, you know, we just needed to make a little a little place we could call home for the psycho part of the internet that's called Nick's Twitter. So <laughs> you gotta love them. It's a it's it's an interesting crowd. I I don't know. I I had um the Knicks recent you know with their recent win streak. I by coincidence at the beginning of the streak, I didn't. I wasn't watching the games live, and we kept winning. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna keep not watching the games live. Gotta do and, it. And then I finally didn't watch the Kings game live because I'm on the East Coast and it started really late on the West Coast and we lost. And I was like, okay, I can watch live again now. So I watched the Clippers versus Knicks game yesterday and I like 
forgot how fucking stressful and annoying it can be to watch the Knicks uh, live. So this is, you know, like I was talking to some of the other Strickland folks in our Discord and everybody was like, it's like the 10 game win streak didn't happen. So Nick, Nick, Knicks fans are already like worried and it, it, we're a sensitive bunch. We're a sensitive bunch, which is part of the reason why I do draft Strickland because it's inherently a hopeful forward-looking thing, right? We're looking at the draft. We're looking at kids who are moldable and they got high ceilings and they're good and talented. And, and you know, we haven't seen them in the NBA long enough to nitpick their weaknesses like we do with, you know, RJ Barrett or Jericho Sims or whoever. So I'm really excited to get into some of these, uh, some of these exciting players who, who you mentioned to me are interesting to you and who I know are interesting to, some of the Knicks fans, um, <clears throat> some of the Knicks fans, looking forward to draft stuff. But before we talk about particular prospects, like I mentioned, bringing us in, it is Selection Sunday. I haven't even really scrutinized the who got in, who got out, what seedings yeah, are messed up, <laughs> all that stuff. I don't usually. I'm like pretty into it, and I'm ready to like throw a couple bucks down on my bracket and. Mm-hmm. looking at the analytics here and there and everywhere. But this year, I didn't do none of that shit. So I'm just <laughs> like, I'm not even going to do a bracket. I'm just going to watch this like purely as a hoop fan, stress-free, no nothing on the line, no nothing. But, um, you know, for for you, have I, I don't know if you've got, you've had time to look at the, the brackets. I, I mean, just, I'm just looking at gut reactions right now, like Alabama as a one seed, Houston as a one seed, Kansas as a one seed. Like, I feel like usually the really good teams don't have prospects like that, but this year they do. So that's kind of cool. Absolutely. I mean, you see that at the top with Brandon Miller and Alabama and then, you know, Grady Dick, who we'll talk about a little bit later uh, with Kansas. So a lot of the, like you said, a lot of the ones and higher seeds do have legitimate first round lottery type talents. Yeah, just just going through like you got a couple of your classic upperclassmen kind of filled teams with high C's like Marquette and UCLA and uh and Purdue of course with giant Zach Eady. Um mm-hmm. but then like looking after that, I mean Baylor, they got Keontae George. Who who else is high here? I'm trying to trying to look through this right. Yukon is a four seed. With my son Jordan Hawkins, who we'll also talk about. <laughs> yes. Gonzaga with I don't know if his is his name Julian Strother or Julian Strother. Do you know? I'm pretty sure it's Julian. Okay. But I, I could be wrong because you know sometimes like there's mispronunciations on air. Like you know, um commentators may not necessarily know or we have sometimes where you get into the draft processes and they completely changed their names or they were just saying everyone has pronounced their name wrong. Like, <laughs> like, like even with this first name and the last name, they were just saying that people were getting it wrong. So it, it kind of comes with the territory, unfortunately, but we, we got to get it right though. <laughs> I need, I need an investigation into Mr. Strother as a fellow Puerto Rican. Cause I know, I know with, I, with other Latinos, it's like, do we pronounce it like the phonetic way or do we just, run with the way that our mama told us or whatever. Anyway, yep, yep. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that maybe later. Probably never, but uh, <laughs> there's a lot of talent here. Duke, so here, I mean, I haven't looked at, like, the hot takes yet, but Duke as a five, that's the, I mean, I know they were kind of, like, mid, but they've been killing it lately. 
Yeah, that's a little bit of a surprise, um, especially with the consistent Duke lug that the tournament, uh, the tourney selection committee seems to give them right or wrong, warranted there could be sometimes not, you know, depending what side of the Duke fandom people <laughs> lie on with that. But like you said, they got it going late, um, finally get healthy with everyone there, um, Dariq healthy, Derek Lively looking a lot more like himself, um, the ball moving, and, they, and Jeremy Roche leading uh, that mm-hmm. group. So they just look fantastic when the ACC tournament. I understand the ACC was not the elite league that it typically is. Um, so maybe that bumped them down a little bit. I thought, but with the ACC tournament win the way they've been playing, I thought they would get a top four seed, particularly on that four line. That's why I mm-hmm. thought they would end up. It'll be interesting. Um, I don't know if I like all this like positive, good <laughs> vibes underdog shit that duke has going on now everybody's like oh they're hot jj reddick is beloved now even i'm out here tweeting positive about him what a change what a change yeah i know (laughs) it used to be fuck those guys and then they started getting some players who i liked and now now it's just like why would i like they it's not like they you know recruit like they used to i mean they still recruit well obviously but Mm -hmm. anyway I, i i just can't maybe i'm just getting old and and washed and i can't Hate, being a hater is a young man's game, so I might be <laughs> I might be past that point in my life. I don't know, man. So out of that game, <laughs> retired. Exactly. Retired, yeah, that's how I should put it. I'll come <laughs> out of retirement for, like, the Grizzlies and other annoying teams. Um, okay, so cool. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, who cooks. Um, just looking down the line at what other prospects are in the tournament. Um, Terquavion Smith. And NC State, he's in the tournament. Um, you got the Kentucky. whole. Yep, K- Kentucky committee. Um, Arkansas went Ant Black. Nick Smith, That's right. Clowny, yeah. Um, Kansas State has a you know a couple of interesting prospects. Um, mm-hmm. Gonzaga, we mentioned UConn, uh, Arkansas, Kansas. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple Indiana with Jalen Hutchinson and uh, and TJ Day, yeah, Trace Jackson Davis, mm-hmm. um, Iowa of course with uh, Mr. Murray. Um, so there is it should be it should be pretty interesting. I always you know, I guess we could start with this question. Like one thing that is kind of a classic Rorschach test for for amateur or professional draft people. I feel like is how you incorporate conference tournaments and March Madness into how you look at these guys, right? Because hopefully they've already played, like, 20 games, which is not much in the larger scheme of things. And for a conference tournament and March Madness, even if you have deep runs, you're talking about, like, maybe 10 games or so, give or take. So, like, is this, like, a, a proving ground for prospects to you or more just or just more boringly, like, oh, there's more data points? Like, <laughs> I'm so glad you asked this question. It's actually what one I have written down in my notes. So, so I absolutely love it. I want to ask you the same thing. For me, I take it with a grain of salt. Um, it does not change too much of my draft projection for the, uh, the different prospects, no matter what they're doing. If it's a strong run or poor run, um, it won't cause me to be like, um, you know, Nick Smith has had a Mm-hmm. Terrible, like they you know Arkansas and went one and done, or whatever the case is. And, um, you know, sorry, Arkansas fan, I'm not saying I want to wish that upon y'all. Let me <laughs> let me let me backtrack a little bit there. 
But just to say, like, early exits and things of that nature really does not affect me too much. No one's going to be moving up 10 spots off of a good tournament run for me um, or back 10 spots because there may be a couple. But what I do like to see is just how are they handling the pressure of the big stage. That's the biggest thing for me. Are Have they ratcheted up their game? Have they looked small in the big moments? So those type of things um, that you kind of – Add to a, uh, another data point there. Um, so you know, that's something that you certainly want to look at um, during the NCAA tournament and these big moments where the national stage is on them. Yeah, that I think that's kind of how I look at it. Like it, the data size for the whole college season is so small, and um, you know, there, there's definitely sometimes some like for players who are playing in worse conferences, it's kind of cool to hopefully see them against out of conference talented schools but even then like you still have to be careful because you know you're again you're talking only a couple of games so while you can say somebody's like amazing at the rim in like a whack conference and then they come into this tournament and they're just getting their shit punched all over the place like <laughs> it's easy to say well like you know maybe they can't hack it around the rim versus nba type length or something but yeah could just be a whack game. It could just be a rough weekend, right? Could could they could be dinged up and playing? I don't know. It could be a zillion things. Um, one thing I do look at though is for players who have. This is probably like the only like unique kind of thing I take from the tournament that I don't take from earlier in the season, which is for players who have had significant in season development. I'm looking at whatever that X factor is. So like for Derek Whitehead at Duke, I'm like, okay, you know, he's, he's finally getting his legs under him. Um, there was a really good piece in the athletic about his injuries and his recovery and how Duke is handling it and stuff like that. That came out. Like, I think it came out like two weeks ago or three weeks ago. And I forget one of the guys they were talking to at Duke estimated that he was about two weeks from being 100%. And we're here now. So, like, mm -hmm. I mean, in the conference tournament, he's definitely moving a little bit better. It's not like like he was when he was skinnier and back in 2020, jumping from, like, the free throw line and shit. But um, exactly. especially on defense, he's definitely got a little got a little pep in his step, which, which you love to see. Or somebody like his teammate, Derek Lively, who you kind of alluded to it. His, he's coming to himself over the last month and a half, not scoring a ton or – not hitting threes or anything, but just like controlling that defense and just dunking the crap out of it when he can and being assertive and, and stuff like that. So, um, exactly. Just being him mm -hmm. at the end of the day, that rim runner, that rim protector and, you know, working pick and rolls. I'm like, I'm glad he's gotten the more two man actions mm -hmm. with Tyrese Proctor, who's just fantastic working those. Um, and be able to get him lobs and easy baskets. And like, it, it's been great to see that, uh, from lively, this year for sure you know after a very rough start yeah exactly so so you love to see that you know brandon miller right he's obviously been playing great in the conference tournament um up to their win and uh we've seen him be better finishing at the rim for example like it, it's good to see I, I don't feel like prospects need to have that but when they do have that in season mm -hmm. development I, i'm always kind of looking at that to to see is that is that something, is that change real and something that, you know, changes their ceiling or their projection? Or is it just more of a, you know, they got hot for a month 
like any NBA player does at various points in in their career or something like that. So it it you know to the extent that guys like especially on the higher teams like Grady Dick or Keontae and their teams can advance, I'll be looking to see if there's uh there's anything new in their games. Um the two players I want to start it out, I wanted to start out talking about are um two players who are in the tournament, two players who are shooters, the Knicks desperately, desperately need shooting. They have a really good offense, but it's what I jokingly call on Twitter a grifter offense because, like, all the other top 10 offenses are, like, 38% from three, 58 true shooting, and then the Knicks are just, like, 35% from three, 56 true shooting, and we shoot 100 times more than you because we get a 1,000 offensive rebounds or whatever, which works for them, but yeah, it'd be, it'd be nice. Exactly. It'd just be nice to... uh to plug in a bench shooter because um, we, we know no rookie's going to come in here and like play starters minutes for Tibbs or, or something like that. But um, if they prove they're not a tire fire on one end uh, on defense and can hit shots, they, I think there's a pathway to minutes there for some, for uh, a future Knicks team, even one with coach Tibbs. So I wanted to talk about Grady Dick and Jordan Hawkins, arguably, the two best shooters in the class. Um, I'm sure people can debate who who's the top three or top five, but they might be number one and two for me personally. Um, what what's we can take it in whatever order you want, um, but I'm just curious about where you're at for those dudes because I've actually seen them projected pretty all over the place. Like some people I know are like Grady top ten, others are like Grady inside the lottery seems crazy, and I'm like. I don't even know where I stand. So give me the answers to the test, bro. What do you think? <laughs> I'm going to try to give you a little something. Um, for both of them, I have them both as lottery grades. Um, with, late, with Grady Dick, well, actually, let's kind of talk about both of them at the same time here because I feel they both have similar strengths and weaknesses. Obviously, with the shooting, they have the movement shooting together, um, being able to space the floor, there's questions about how much juice they both have off the bounce to be able to score in one-on-one situations, and then also defensively as well. Um, the stock numbers are pretty good for Grady Dick, uh, 1.7 stocks, and he's a really good team defender. And at 6'8", you certainly want to take that size and a knockdown shooter as well. Uh, I think he's right around 39% shooting this year from three. And he knows with that size and shooting, that's what the league is always looking for. That is always coveted. Size and shooting will get you paid. Like that point-blank period, it, it certainly will. And that's exactly what teams are, are going to be looking for out of Grady Dick and Hawkins. Um, the biggest difference for me uh, between the two is the height. I mean, mm -hmm. Hawkins is 6'5", and you have Grady Dick at 6'8". And then kind of sneaking Jet into this discussion as well, oh, too. Yeah. He's at 6'8 as well, too. So they both have the height advantage over Hawkins. But, I mean, you can arguably say you can go either way that you want to go with uh, the shooting for all three of them, all fantastic shooters. But when you're looking for off the ball, the movement, you may want to go with the edge for Jordan Hawkins. I mean, it is an absolute task chasing that man around screens all game. And he's just sprinting off screens, pull up. I'm working handoffs. Going up, I mean, attacking closeouts. You really have to be prepared for a track meet 
when you are chasing around Jordan Hawkins. Like, you really are in for a long day. Um, and I think with all three of these guys, too, I you can put them all in the playoff game right now, and they'll be able to get buckets because of their shooting, their ability to work off the ball. Um, I really am curious to see where people end up with all three of them, simply because, like I said, they have so many similarities uh, with their offensive game and their concern areas, if you will. With um, Hawkins, like I said, being the shorter one, maybe that's kind of what pushed them him a little bit away from the other two, possibly. But for me, uh, if I had to pick any type of order right now, and it's changed throughout the season, I would have had Jet first. But right now, I'm going to go with Grady, Jordan Hawkins, and then Jet Howard. That would be my three for right now. But at the end of the day, if a team misses out on whichever order, if they miss it out, let's say they miss on Grady Dick, I think they'll be almost or if not just as happy as being able to get someone like Jet later or Jordan Hawkins later. So if you're looking for uh, the shooting, someone that can come and do it right away, all three of those guys can do that for you. They're all really interesting and because they're all ridiculous shooters of different kinds, right? Like Grady, Grady is probably the the toughest in the sense that he's like the tallest of the bunch and has a high release on top of that. Mm -hmm. um, Jet is probably the best shooting off combo dribbles and crazy moves and stuff like that. And then, like you said, uh, Jordan runs off screens way more than the other ones. Um, so they definitely each have like their strengths within the realm of shooting. Um, and I think, I think the Knicks, in theory, would be lucky to have any of them. Uh, what I wonder, though, is like, in terms of, we know you can put any of those three on the court and they'll be able to shoot, especially if they don't have to create their own shots as much. But for things like, all right, you're going to come in and play for Tibbs. You're going to need to, like, hit rotations. You're going to need to at least give some effort at the point of attack, right? Like, box out your guy. Like, in terms of those little things that add up, and obviously, like, they're little individually, but large cumulatively, um, how, would you, how would you rank those three? Because that's kind of what I'm struggling with. I'm looking at their shooters, right? And with those three being the top, top, top-end shooters, and then below them uh some other players who are good shooters but maybe not great shooters like chris murray types yeah. um you know chris is a great rebounder and he's obviously older than those guys and therefore a little bit more seasoned defensively so you know it makes me wonder like is someone like tibbs gonna be in the Knicks war room talking about even though he's not as good a shooter give me chris murray because i know i could plug him in or whatever um but at, by the same token like We've seen him give guys like Deuce McBride and even quickly back when he was a rookie strategic but small roles. So like, and it's not a coincidence that those guys both did a lot of those little things and in theory could shoot. So how, how are you feeling about those guys doing the various little things? I will put Grady at the top of that one. I mean, with his size, defensive playmaking and effort, um, especially what he does as a team defender, be able to get in passing lanes. Um, and at that size, you can switch a little bit. Obviously, teams will probably be welcome mm -hmm. um, to getting them on the island and switching, but at least you do have some size and effort. And for me, 
when it comes down to defense and guys who are mostly known for their offense, if you have good size and you give effort, I feel like teams generally can work with that because you have some yeah. switchability. Um, there are some tools for you to work at, and you won't be a complete mismatch with your size, hopefully um, hopefully plus length, but at least decent length, and also just that general effort. So I would certainly put Grady at the top of that list from what I've seen. And really, we, there's been moments of that for Jet, especially when he's working through and navigating off-ball screens defensively. Um, he probably has the most work to do, but then again, he's also 6'8". So you do kind of like um, his frame, what he can do. Jordan and he's Hawk, the youngest. Exactly, exactly. And then real quick with, I don't want to go too far into a changing here, but with Jet as well, like I just love NBA bloodlines. So, and whatever, <laughs> what I mean by that, both on and off the court, like, you know, with Jawan as his dad, like he's fully prepared to play in the NBA mentally, on the court, off the court, understanding what his diet needs to be like, what it looks like off the court, um, the work ethic that's needed, the you know the prep on and off, you know all that type of stuff to just kind of ease that transition, um, both on and off the court, and being able to have someone like that who's gone through it at a high high level, I really really value those things, and. Um, for Jordan Hawkins, I feel like he's getting better defensively as far as just putting the effort in and working. Um, when I got to see him play against Georgetown uh, was the last month, maybe a month and a half ago, they were pretty relentless about getting into his chest. He does have to get bigger. There's six five. I think he's – I don't want to misspeak. I'm not sure the exact weightlifting form. I'm pretty sure he's under 200 pounds. Um, but they were just relentless about going into his chest. The effort was there for him, but he's certainly going to have to get stronger. Uh, before we continue this discussion, though, uh, NBA fans, it's time to bring the hoops action to the palm of your hand with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app today, opt in, and place a same-game parlay on any NBA game. And if it doesn't hit, you'll get a bonus bet back. Own the app now and sign up with code TBPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NBA and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA with code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Yeah, that physicality is definitely my biggest uh, concern with Jet. And, you know, it manifests in his bad stock and rebound numbers, which are really bad. But you also see it in other things. Like, he has great touch and skill, so he can, you know, get into the lane and go to his floater and stuff. But sometimes I'm like, dude, you're going up against, like, teacher's assistants. Just, like, go through them or go over them or yep. whatever. Um, and one th <laughs> exactly, right? Like, and he's skinny, but he's not, like, bone Thailand skinny either. So... Mm -hmm. Um, he, he's got a little something to work with there and uh, it'll be interesting to see if whoever drafts him can you know make him tap into that like I don't know take some boxing classes or something but, uh, <laughs> but one of the things that's one of the things I like about Jordan Hawkins is even though he's smaller um, he doesn't mind mixing it up he he can try to get pretty physical at the point of attack on defense and then 
driving sometimes he's not afraid to like crash into dudes or or play around and like draw contact in traffic and things like that so um i don't know i think in terms of little things i don't think any of the three of them are bad but mm-hmm. i would definitely put grady at the top the team defense thing for offense first prospects is like you hit it on the head like i always think of i don't know this might anger some listeners who are members of cam fam uh <laughs> cam is great cam reddish is great at the point of attack but like when he was playing for the knicks the problem was teams were like like we would put cam reddish we would hide jalen brunson right and then put cam reddish on a point guard like john morant or something and he's do an admirable job but teams realize oh cam is on john morant i'm just gonna set a screen at the three-point line and then it's like, okay, do you know how to rear view contest? If you're going to be switched, do you know how to peel switch properly? Like, if you have to take somebody else and rotate, like, are you going to make that rotation? All of those things have nothing to do with, like, length at the point of attack. It's still involved. Being along still helps, and Cam would still sometimes be decent at those things. But more often than not, you just uh, be a little unremarkable in that respect, which is why someone like Deuce, even though he's shorter, um, gives you that point of attack resistance, but also gives you all the other little things, which is why he was favored by Tibbs, unsurprisingly, um, as a bench guard. So that's something I'm just... I don't know if it's, like, good that... Like, so on the one hand, I'm like, yes, you want prospects who do the little things. But on the other hand, I'm like, I wish this Knicks front office was more open-minded to, like, pick guys who have upside on offense, but maybe they could teach that stuff. And that's where, that's the big question I have with Jet Howard because, I mean, we'll put aside his age. The Knicks have, since R.J. Barrett, have not taken an 18-year-old. Actually, I guess that's technically not true. They took Trevor Keels, who was, like, either just 19 or 18. But in the top 35 picks, they haven't taken a very young player like Jet um, in the Leon Rose tenure. Mm -hmm. But... I don't think it's necessarily they have anything against young players. I just think they prefer a little bit of a track record and they're probably a little risk averse in that way. But I mean, the way shit is going for Dallas, whose pick they have, like (laughs) we might be picking 13, 14, 15. So like they're going to have to seriously consider players who are barely 19, right? Like, yep. Like Anthony Black, if is night is on draft night, is going to be a month over nineteen. Grady Dick is going to be two or three months over nineteen years old. Mm-hmm. Keontae George, two. I mean, he probably won't be there when the Knicks pick, but like a little over nineteen. Derek, he will not be nineteen. He'll be eighteen and a half. Yep. Um, just uh, Case and Wallace from Kentucky. I don't think the Knicks will pick him, but again, nineteen. So there's just like a lot of young players, and Jet is. Gonna be he's not like Derek Young, 18 and a half on draft night on draft day. Jet will be 19 and a half, so they might be able to work with that, but um it'll just be really interesting to see uh who which shooter they pick if they pick a shooter, given all of those considerations. Um uh another guy I wanted to ask you about, um who's maybe a shooter, but not yet a shooter is Noah Clowney, who you mentioned as someone you're interested in. I know he interests Knicks fans a lot because aside from shooting, the thing 
the Knicks are pretty glaringly missing is aside from Julius Randle, we don't really have any like rangy long guys. And even Julius isn't really rangy or long. He's just jacked and really fast. Yeah. <laughs> and Obi Toppin, mm-hmm. yeah, Obi Toppin's long, but he's not like rangy on defense. He's just he saves all of that good stuff for offense for the most part. So Noah Clowney, I mean, he's a you know nobody's gonna confuse him for some ball handling small forward, but he's young. He's part of a really good team. Mm-hmm. Great advanced stats. The stats kind of ebb and flow. How do you feel about him? I do like him. I'm not sure if I like him first round quite yet. He's on the cuffs mm-hmm. of that for me. He's in that late first round, early second round grade. Mm-hmm. But what the NBA is looking for, long rangey centers, who can protect the rim and sh- and potentially stretch the floor? I think he's shooting. Um, he's definitely under thirty percent. I believe he's at twenty-seven percent. Yeah, twenty-seven mm-hmm. percent on just about three and a half attempts per game, uh, which I do like that the value is getting there. Um, but for him, the main thing is continuing to get stronger, being able to find more of a consistent shot, and just really being a play finisher. And I, I think those are what teams are really want to continue to see from him. And um, once he gets to work out in that pre-draft process, assuming that he does declare it, even just, just to get feedback, shooting the ball and workouts is going to be critical for him. But um, if I would say if he was doing that low 30s, if he was more of a proven shooter at this point, I think he'd be a guaranteed first rounder. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at. And to me, I mean, I know the Knicks aren't going to do this because, again, they just rarely take players this young. But, like, you can teach shooting to some extent. As long as you're not starting from, like, the worst shot ever, you can probably teach, like, catch and shoot shooting. And his shot, like, it's not busted. It just doesn't go in. He's probably Mm -hmm. pretty inconsistent. So if I'm an NBA, especially an NBA team with multiple picks that is closer to rebuilding than I am to contending, you know, a team like the Pacers or something, I'm definitely willing to reach for someone like Clowney with the hopes that, you know, you can polish the shot and get him pro fitness, pro fitness sessions and a chef and all that good stuff. And you get the payoff in a couple of years when someone like Tyrese Halliburton is closer to their, their prime. Um, Are there any other players in that, like, 12 to that big lot? Because to me, for me, it's like once you get to, roughly 12 give or take then it's like a free-for-all like i don't know who's gonna go when it could be Kaysen wallace and bryce sensabaugh and derek whitehead could go 12 13 14 or they could go 17 18 19 like i have no idea how this yeah. thing is gonna shake out <laughs> yeah. let's let's talk about derek for a little bit um yeah talk about them in bits and pieces um throughout the pod already but you're right about he could go in the lottery. He could go late first round. It's a pretty big range for him. But if the athleticism comes back, which I feel like it will, we saw what happened with AJ Griffin last year, and just in general the way that modern medicine is, and and the way that these guys attack rehab, and you know it's just so precise with their rehab, and usually come back as athletic, uh, you know, as they were before, or even better. So just, I think if teams feel good about his medicals, 
they're going to get a guaranteed lottery talent, possibly top 10 talents. The way he's been shooting the ball, um, he's been very confident. He's defending. I think he's legitimate. So it's in that 6'6 six, six range. Um, strong. It looks like he had just from – I don't saw him play in person once at UVA, but it looked like he is a little bigger than probably where he wants to be. Not to say mm-hmm. that he's chunky or anything like that. I might not want to – Go that far, but probably just not at the the playing weight that he wants to be, which makes sense coming off the injury. And I'm still trying to to work his way back, which looks like he's almost there. But if that athleticism comes back, like I think that it will, I think he is a bona fide top ten pick in the draft. One thing that I, I I've gone through several phases with Tariq. At yeah. first, I was like, ah, oh, like all the high school footage, like roll yep. the dice, dudes, like go for the upside. <laughs> But then I like really sat. I did a, a a quick one of those air videos that's like two minutes long, just basically literally comparing dunks from early this year, from I his senior that. year yep. and his junior year, and you can just see like the hops decrease each time because of the combination of bulking up intentionally, like to get stronger, like you know, like any teenager, mm-hmm. and also just all those lower lower body injuries and. Um, it was rough, man. He had some like bad missed dunks and stuff like that early in the year. And but I hadn't actually. I mean, I would throw like sometimes Duke would be on TV because they're Duke, and I would watch it. But I, I didn't really lock in until recently um, because I knew I'm look. I'm I'm not spending as much time scouting probably as a lot of our good friends on draft Twitter. Definitely not as much as you because I pretty much do this for fun on my couch in my free time, and I was like, all right, if I know I'm waiting for Derek to get healthy and I want to watch him play defense, like, full games, I'm going to wait till later this season to get my uh, – to do my Duke deep dive. So I've been checking him out during the conference tournament, and I was kind of surprised at how uh, spry he is on defense. Like, the, 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 the vertical pop on offense, that's still a ways away, but, like, I don't know. He, I, I'm maybe it's because I watched too much fucking RJ Barrett, but like I'm used to these <laughs> jacked, jacked dudes just not being able to slide their feet like that. And and he's, uh, more than capable. He's like legit, mm-hmm. like agile out there on defense, which is, uh, you know, that's the kind of stuff you want to see from an 18 year old because the the schematic stuff. And not to say he's bad at the the help defense stuff. He's actually pretty good at that for an 18 year old, but. Just like his whole defensive package as a prospect, like I kind of just go into looking at wings and assume that like I put them into two buckets, theoretically good on or three buckets, just probably going to be bad at defense. Theoretically could be good on defense because they have the tools Mm -hmm. and then the rare like, okay, they're already actually good at defense. And I feel like he's kind of already good at defense, which leads me to the next logical question, which is like, okay. If he's already good at defense and the shot making, you know, maybe that takes a while to come back. Maybe it never comes back, but he's already a really good three-point shooter, just like role player threes, right? Like, isn't he the isn't this the kind of young player who Tibbs might be like, oh, we'll throw you 10 minutes a game? You could you could you could play with IQ and Josh Hart and these guys and just run and gun and use your energy and play defense and you know, because normally, like I said, we haven't drafted an eighteen-year-old, but I'd be looking at Dariq, wondering, like, is he gonna, is he gonna break the curse, the streak? I don't know. 
Yeah, I, um, I do like yeah. that fit for the Knicks for sure. There's a lot of different ways they can go. If you look for mm-hmm. someone with the defense and, and the shooting there outside of the guy, you know, like Grady Dick, how we mentioned there, but uh Rodriguez will be a hell of a fit there. I'm uh I don't know. He he's gotten mocked to the Knicks a lot because you know people. We'll see if the Duke run impacts the all of their stock, but I think he it might benefit will. from that. <laughs> that shit always happens to someone I want on the Knicks. They start killing it in the tournament or something. <laughs> God damn it! But we'll see. We'll see what happens with Derek. Um, he's at, at first I was just like I'm. I'm just too scared. Like I don't don't know. I don't want to pick anybody whose injury history can result in this draft pick being like a net zero. Like I just, yeah. I'm just not about that life, but obviously like the real life Knicks front office would have the medicals and mm-hmm. much more information than I have here from my fucking laptop or whatever. So, uh, <laughs> so some other guys just looking at the other guys around who might be around that part of the class and are shooters or shooter ish. Um, you got guys like Taylor Hendricks, who's fast rising, and you know the more the more I think about it, the more I'm like, he's not gonna fall to the Knicks because he's so young and, like you said, size and shooting, right? Like that's that's the name of the game these days, and it's pretty much Grady Dick in terms of like shooters who are above six seven. It's like Grady Dick, Brandon Miller. Obviously, Wembenyama, but like he's in his own category, and then yeah. <laughs> pretty much like Taylor Hendricks, like Kyle Filipowski can shoot, but it's a little bit more theoretical. Jet Howard, maybe if you if you if he unbraids his hair and then he's six nine with the hair, then you can kind of <laughs> include him. That's really it, though. There's not a lot of tall shooters because that's pretty hard to do, and that you know I'm I'm on Tankathon right here, and they haven't updated their shit because he's like twenty third and. Um, so him and Max Lewis and Kyle Filipowski, those are three taller kind of shooters who I'm wondering, like, could they come in and just be floor spacers who do some of those little things? Um, I don't know how much you've got to watch those guys, but curious if you have any thoughts about them. Well, actually the conversation on flip that brings me a little bit to a philosophy conversation that I want to have. Maybe it's a, a little side yeah. tension, if you don't mind. Let's and we need a little bit of, uh, about this. Let me see if I can find the best way to explain it. But essentially, I'm looking for kind of in projecting shooting. Mm-hmm. What is kind of the lowest threshold of three-point percentage mixed in with shot-making versatility that still keeps that gravity for you out on the floor? Um. And kind of what made me think about it was Kyle Filipowski and Mike Miles as well. And just looking at the numbers for both. So last year, Mike Miles shot 29% from three on 4.7 attempts last season. And uh, in his career, he's at 33%. And moving to flip, flip is 29% this season. And then per Cerebro Sports, excellent database. I can't suggest and recommend them. Shout out Cerebro. Shout out to all of them doing fantastic work and moving the game forward. I really appreciate what they're doing. Um, Through 45 games uh, for uh, for Flip that's measured there, 
He's shooting 30, excuse me, 30 percent on 140 attempts. And I say this to say, I watched Kuminga play last week against the Lakers, and he's shooting 34 percent. Sorry for all the numbers. I'll tie it in at the end, but 34 percent. Um this season on 2.1 attempts. And the Lakers were backing off on like he's Russ. They were giving him the shot. They said 34%. I know mm-hmm. um, there were shot making and shooting concerns with him coming out of the draft. Like he shot 24% with the G League at night. And he's obviously improved that. But it's not, <laughs> it's not improved enough for teams to truly respect him and run him off the line or give him that type of gravity. So I say that all to say... What is it because of the different shot making? Is it the confidence? Because Mike Miles, just watching him, the motion, the shooting, the confidence, shot making, versatility, the step backs, pull ups, pick and roll. He's going to get a lot more gravity, even if he's shooting under 30%, I think 30%, than Kuminga will, based off of that versatility, that shot making, and that confidence. Is there is you think it just varies from person to person? Is there a low threshold that is just too low uh, to project for someone to still have that type of gravity? No, there's a long winded type of question and uh, response within it. Nah, that's a good question, and it's actually something Knicks fans have talked a lot about because over the Tibbs tenure, we've modernized our shot profile more and more each year, and now if you look at the Knicks, they probably have the top ten like Mori ball type profile. Um, and we've come a long way from the days of, you know, Alfred Payton and Bobby Portis, even before Bobby Portis became like nice, nice too. Um, <laughs> when he was busy trying to do like jump hooks, every possession and shit yep. like that. And, uh, and you know, so like, I, I think it really comes down to volume. Um, and, like tucked into the onion of volume, if you unpeel the layers, is like, okay, who's going to get volume, right? Like if you're a ball handler, it's a lot easier to get volume. So, you know, you think of somebody like Mike Miles, right? He's been the point guard pretty much everywhere he goes. He was on Team USA with a bunch of hoopers, and he was still like, bitch, this is Mike Miles' team. Like y'all going to have to (laughs) deal with it. And it worked because he's Mike Miles, and he's really good. And, uh, you know, just – Looking at the Knicks now, like it's we see this with Julius, he's taking 11 and a half threes per 100, which is like a mind boggling number for Julius Randle, wrecking mm-hmm. ball power forward. And I wouldn't have it any other way because he, even if he's only shooting 34 35 percent, that means you're still gonna have games where he's a threat and he hits two in the first half, I mean, two in the first quarter, ends up the game with, like, he's had numerous games with five threes and stuff like that. Um, you know, we all got these jokes off during the three-point shootout, but, like, the the fact of the <laughs> matter is if, you, uh, if you're a ball handler, whether you're a traditional ball handler like Mike Miles or somebody like Marcus Smart, right, who's never been a particularly great three-point shooter, but he has the ball so he can put him up. Or Spencer Dinwiddie's another one. I know he had a great, great shooting year before the trade, but historically, he's not a particularly good three-point shooter, but dude definitely puts it up. And on some level, you have to – disciplined teams might be like, all right, Spencer Dinwiddie, like, put up as many as you want. But it, it's just trickier. Um, so if you're not a ball handler and, you need, and you're putting up significant volume, 
that means you're you're looking to put them up. Like you're not shy. I'm thinking of guys like Grady Murray, Jordan Hawkins, um, on the Knicks, um, Quentin Grimes. Although even he's like become a little more tame because he likes putting it on the deck and driving because he's really athletic, so he could do that. But um, so for someone like Kuminga, it's tough because he doesn't have the offensive ball handler gravity like a Mike Miles or a Dinwiddie or a Julius Randle. And he doesn't have the off ball like, you better watch out. Doesn't matter what my percentages say. I'm about to put him up. Like, you know, some of these other guys like Grady Dick or uh, or whoever, you know, just can pick a random like, like Jake Jay Crowder is a great example, like in the NBA. Like he's never been a particularly awesome shooter, but he knows in his role he has to put them up. And he does a decent job doing that. And nobody's going to confuse Jay Crowder with, you know, J.J. Redick or something. But, like, you can't ignore you can't ignore Jay Crowder. Like, you might not stick with him like he's, you know, prime Richard Hamilton. But yeah. <laughs> he's it's not like Kuminga where they're like, okay, go ahead. Go ahead and shoot it. Like, yeah, have fun with that. <laughs> so, exactly. and where does somebody, like, flip fall into that is interesting because in college, like, the shooting is the curveball for him, right? Like he can just dominate you with two point shots because he's bigger, stronger, faster, and more skilled than like everybody he comes against. And you know, he hasn't been a good three point shooter this season, but he takes them. Mm-hmm. And when he's off ball, like I feel like they don't leave him wide open because he's their best offensive player, right? Like you have to know where he is. Just. So the question for me is with someone like him is at least especially earlier in his career, like he's not going to be the best offensive player. So are teams going to dare him to shoot? In which case, is he going to be more judicious like Kuminga or is he going to be like, yeah, you dare me. I dare you to dare me. Like I'm going to put him up like, and based on more of a hunch than data, he just seems like the kind of player who I think, will make defenses pay in a way that even someone like Kuminga, who's come a long way in terms of his shooting, but still has a long way to go. Um, so it'll be, it'll be interesting with flip, especially cause I don't think he's going to play the center like he does sometimes, but you know, he splits, he plays with, with lively too. So he's not like always the center. So I think he could come in and, uh, I don't know. I'm kind of high. He's just such a fascinating, weird player. He's like a big with like wing like stock numbers, but he's not a good shooter, but he kind of is. And he's not afraid to shoot it. So I don't know. It You could do a lot of things with him. And I hope he doesn't end up on a team that is kind of boring in their development, like the Hawks or something, just because if he's on the Hawks or even if he's on the Knicks, they're going to be like, all right, dude, stay in the corner. Wait for Trey or Jalen Brunson or Julius to pass you the ball. Go get offensive rebounds after that. Please hit all your rotations or else your coach will bench you immediately. Like, you know, like boring. I want, like, some creativity. So it'll be interesting. It's definitely a great question. And, um, it, you know, it applies to a couple of the other guys we talked about, right? Like Noah Clowney, for example. Yep. Like, he's taking more threes than I expected him to take, but it's going to be key that even as he develops, he still just puts them up. Um, 
you know, although, and I'm just like spiraling into a tangent of of your tangent, but like I look at somebody like uh, <laughs> like Walker Kessler and in Utah, they're like, no, you're not taking no fucking threes right now. Like, just play defense and then you'll shoot threes later. And I guess I can understand that because he's the center. But and someone like Flip, to the extent that he's not playing center, I doubt I doubt that'll happen. I doubt some team is going to be like, no, like protect the rim and shoot big man shots or something like that. So he should be fine, but it'll be interesting. Exactly. Like you said, with the size and skill that he has, it's a lot of different things that teams can do with him. The passing that he's shown, running DHOs, um, mm-hmm. you know, short rolls, horn sets, a lot of different things that they can do to get him out in space against other fives or other bigs, however he's matched up. Um, it's give him an advantageous situations for himself and his teammates as well. And then, like you said, even if he, the hunch you said, I think it has to do with the eye test. You know, you see yeah. how confident he is shooting. You've seen him be able to make shots, what the motion looks like. And, you know, all those type of things, I would certainly trust. He may not end up being a, you know, high 30s, maybe not even mid-30s three-point shooter. But I would feel pretty good about him in that low 30s on maybe three attempts per game, maybe somewhere around there. And the fact that he is a shot maker, too, even if he doesn't end up being like the pure shooter we hope he would be um, as a big, but he is a legitimate perimeter shot maker that teams have to respect and keep honest because he can hit those shots and he's confident in it. Yeah, that's to me what separates him from like Kalel Ware mm-hmm. or uh, a slightly deeper cut, but like Tristan Vukovic, who's hooping in Spain. Um, you know, he Vukovic is another, he's a power forward slash center, 6'10, also very young, or not very, he's like a little older than Flip. And his stats are crazy. Like, if, if you look at his like international stats playing in Spain, like, he's very good. 38% from three, like high 70s from free throw, and he looks like he could shoot it, but he's not he's not a shot maker. And I think mm-hmm. the fact that you see Flip take those like mid-range shots and like they go to Flip in the middle of the zone to zone bust, right? Because yep. of his passing and his little mid-range shot, that's a, a level of confidence in the shooting that I think to me, I probably value. A little bit more than just percentages alone um although of course percentages matter so um i'm he's i don't know where he's gonna end up on my board definitely inside the top 20 though um he's one of those guys who i wish kind of fit on the knicks but yeah unless we <laughs> draft him to replace obi which is entirely possible you know obi's probably on his way out unfortunately um i just don't think the knicks are gonna draft another like large power forward type, maybe like a, if they draft a power forward, it's going to be somebody who's a little more light on their feet, mm-hmm. like a Taylor Hendricks type, or, or I, I don't, I don't even know who else fits that bill. There's not that many power forward. Chris Murray's a good example. Like Chris Murray's a power forward, but he can, you know, he can move and groove a little bit. So yeah. we'll, we'll see what happens there. Um, actually, I did wanted to ask you about Chris too, because, uh, you know, with his brother in the league, obviously they're not the same player. Um, I, I think Keegan is has emerged as a super duper shooter in his own right. Um, Chris is a really good shooter, but not like that. But like, yeah. where are you at on Chris? Because I go back and forth. On the one hand, I'm like, okay, he's versatile, he can shoot, 
there's not much size with shooting in this draft. So yep. that's what the Knicks are looking for, right? Like someone to be tall and shoot and then also do the little things. Chris seems like he could do all that. But at the same time, I'm like, he's about to be 22 and a half. Like, where would these other 18 and 19 year olds be in two or three years? Probably really good. So is this the if the Knicks take Chris, is that a bit of a short term maybe counterproductive in the long term. I don't know. Like I, I, I go back and forth with whether I would be very happy with Chris on the Knicks, disappointed with Chris on the Knicks, or just begrudgingly like, this is fine. He will fit in well, like very sanitized, like <laughs> a math equation. Like he's just plugging in and it'll be, and that's fine. That's all we need him to do. Right. So what do you think of Chris? I really do like him. Like you hit on the head size and shooting. My only thing is, I want to see how good of a shooter is he really? Because she's shooting thirty three percent this year on six, about six and a half attempts, after shooting thirty eight percent last year. You know, on three point two attempts. So I think him proving what type of shooter that he really is. He showed a little bit of scoring versatility. He's up there, um, just a little over twenty points per game too. But I think that's going to be key: shoot the ball well and workouts. And also show that that's going to continue to translate as well. Because if he is like that 33%, low 30% shooter, I'm moving more to <laughs> around. You know what I mean? Like if he's up in the upper 30s, then I would feel more about him in that low first round. Because, you know, it would be a theme, I'm sure, like we said many times. Or just that size and shooting. You, you know, it's very tough to beat that. And especially for someone um, he's like him who's poised. He has a strong basketball IQ. He'll do the little things, just has a good feel. And you can see him slide into a rotation for a very long time. But that shooting just has to, um, just at the end of the day, prove that he is a legitimate shooter. Yeah. I, I didn't realize it was so low. Like, I, I, yeah. thought, I actually thought it was a little bit higher. And um, I just, while you were while you were dropping those gems, I, I pulled up on um, one cool thing you can do on barttorvik.com is if you look up an individual player's page on here, you can look at a given statistical category and like how it is across this season. So like if it's the same or if it's gone up or down or whatever. And with him, you can see it's kind of trended a little bit down mm -hmm. um, since uh, the beginning of the season. Not by much, but enough that it makes you think. And then, uh, you know, I then the next thing I looked at, it was like, okay, let's look at his three point percentage. They have overall conference games versus top 100 and versus top 50 quality games. Um, so like, you know, teams that are top 100 level, according to their statistics. So overall 34% conference games, which is 19 of the 28 games he's played 33%. So basically the same um, top 100, which is 22 games, 31%. And then top 50, which is 12 games, 31%. And, you know, we have data from last year as well, which is a little bit better, but it is interesting. Like just watching him, he, they do run him off some, uh, like some movement and give him yeah. some difficult threes. So on the one hand, I'm like, his numbers are probably low in part because he's taking quite a lot and some of them mm -hmm. are hard, but I 
do wonder, like, is he a good enough shooter that he's going to get some variety of threes at the NBA? Or is it just going to be more your staple catch and shoot, right? Like, especially on a team like the Knicks where, like, it, it's not that good creative. Like, even <laughs> Quentin Grimes is mostly taken pretty straightforward. It's, it's either off the catch or one or two dribbles. And, um, you know, nobody's shooting off movement. I hope if they take someone like Jordan Hawkins, then they'll incorporate some movement. But for everyone else, I'm like, all right. Like, on the one hand, Chris might not be some great shooter. But on the other hand, maybe his shooting diet actually gets easier in the NBA when he's not the main guy on the scouting report and he's not having to shoot off movement. So I think on the whole, I'm probably like, I don't know. He's definitely not a shooter on the level of the other guys we've talked about, but I don't think he's a non-shooter, but there's enough there that I'd be a little shook if we took him. I'd be optimistic and I'd push my agenda on Twitter about how great he'll be immediately. But in the back of my my head, I'd be, I'd be a little worried, a little shook. (laughs) I think you hit the head on so many gems that you just said in that. um, You have to really look at, the shots that he is taking, and then a big part of I look at scouting. Um, I look at it as as an IEP, like from it's kind of known as the individualized education plan. Is kind of what it's known as, but I look at it as an individualized scouting plan. And for me, IEP is identify, evaluate, and project. And um, you know, Buff, you know, TV Five Sports does a terrific job. He's talking about very similar stuff, and that's how I look at it as well. And this projection part, you know, it's going to be look pretty much completely different for someone um, like Chris Murray. Like you said, he's not going to go and run around all these pin downs. I just don't see at least right away. It may be more off of catch and shoots, relocations, uh, maybe a little pick and pop action, those type of things to where he's not taking as many difficult shots and the volume may not necessarily be there. So that number could be in that upper 37%. So that kind of changes. You like still have that shot versatility there, have him running off the screens and whatnot. But if he is that reliable spacer off of catch and shoots, especially working off the penetration of guys and he's shooting open threes and he's hitting those at a high clip, that's, that's something that you want to see and that you feel good about. Yeah. That makes sense. I, you're helping me come to terms a little bit with it. So I, I think I'd still be cool <laughs> if we took him. But if that if Dallas keeps on stinking up the joint and our pick is like closer to 12 than closer to 18, then I'll probably, if we pick Chris, that means we probably passed on some players I really, really like. So uh, exactly, exactly. I, you know, it, it's like what happened with Obi. Like Obi's, I was actually low on Obi, and he was a lot better than I expected, even though he's just had a lot of misfortune and his usage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when they drafted him, they didn't think Randall was going to be here. So it, it was just yeah. a perfect storm of the wrong coach for him and the wrong roster for him. And, um, but he was easy to root for and he got better at stuff, right? Like his defense mm-hmm. has improved vastly and his, Shooting is, I mean, he's not a sniper, but his shooting is a lot better than it used to be. So um, if we had Chris, I would definitely, just from him being tall alone, like that's going to have value for a team like the Knicks. So um, it's it's always easy to think about upside and forget about like, okay, what's the floor, right? What's the what's the downside? And, and someone like him 
I can see why the Knicks front office might just be like, yeah, just keep it simple. He's really good. You know he's going to be good. There's like little risk of this blowing up in your face. We got a good thing going here with this, our top eight, right? We already got plenty of young players. Just, just go, just swing for the single here. Don't swing for the home run. So <laughs> it'll be interesting. Um, Jam, sir, thank you for joining us. Uh, we hit the hour mark. So uh, that means we got a lot of good content for the good folks listening here, whether it's on Spotify or YouTube or whatever other apps. I don't know. I'm old and washed, but. Uh, I'm, I'm sure people will appreciate you being on here and definitely not the last time real quick you want to tell folks where they can find you and if you have anything coming out or anything else that you want to just give a plug for definitely go for that absolutely i appreciate that first of all for having me on it's a pleasure and honor to, uh, to come on here and look forward to coming back soon um, if you want to follow my work on Twitter, that's Jam on the Boards. And also I'm doing stuff with Draft Digest. We're really going to start to ramp it up with the tournament here and we get into that pre-draft process. I recently wrote about Benny Williams and his um, ACC tournament game, what that looked like moving forward for him was one of his best games of the season. Also working on the Gigi Jackson piece that I'm excited about, um, about his off-ball upside a lot of his upside gets talked about and is tied into his on-ball work. So I wanted to dive into his off-ball work and things that I like from him. And then I'm also uh, working on something about Drew Peterson. He's one of my sleeper prospects in the draft. Um, a 6'9", versatile ball skills, fits right into the modern NBA. So I'm excited to pump those out, um, continue to dive deep in those and get those out soon. I'm excited to learn about Drew Peterson because six nine versatile. That's that's that checks a lot of boxes for the Knicks. So <laughs> I, I might have to stop sleeping on him. I don't know anything about him, so that that'll be interesting. And uh, maybe next time you're on, we can talk about him and some other sleepers, and we'll have a better idea of hopefully where the Knicks are going to pick. Um, people, you heard the man. Throw him a follow at Jam on the Boards. You can find me at underscore Presidente as usual. You can find us on Spotify and also on YouTube where I will now be posting whenever I feel like it. I don't know if that's every other week or not. Some some video stuff that's a little too long for Twitter, but that I felt like throwing on the Internet for people to check out. So uh, stay tuned for some bonus Draft Strickland content, people. And that is all for our show for today. And we will see you next time for March Madness. The 
our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.